Welcome to Beyond Risk and Back. I am your host, Aaron Huey. Ever since my wife and I opened a residential program for teenagers, we found ourselves working alongside of psychiatrists, psychologists, psychoanalysts, um, and the, the children and the families who have been really struggling with what's actually going on in their child's brain, trying to figure out what's going on with the child, trying to figure out why these things are happening. And unfortunately, when a child ends up in an acute care unit because of a suicide attempt or because of a overdose or just something that's really acute, very risky, very life and limb, it is pretty common practice for the doctors there to make medication changes. Here's what I don't understand. What I don't understand is if I hurt my arm, I wake up one morning and my arm just hurts, hurts so bad I just can't use it well. If I go to uh, an urgent care or an emergency room and I say, I can't use my arm, it hurts, I can't move it. First thing they do is x-ray it. They don't give me pills, they don't wrap it up, they do not start treating my arm, my finger, my toe, my knee, until they've taken a look at what is going on with it. But we take a child, an adult, we take a teenager who's struggling with their brain, it's not working, there's a dysfunction. And the first thing they do is throw pills. They even put skills second, but the first thing is pills. Why aren't they x-raying the brain? Why aren't we looking at the map of the brain and finding out which parts of the brain work, which don't before? Why not genetics testing? Why not, why not? My guest today is uh, Dr. James Seeberger and his wife, Veronica Seeberger. This episode is called Mapping the Mind. I met them in Vegas at the IFA awards ceremony. They got a big old award there. And we are going to have a conversation with them because this is what they do. They map the mind. Thank you for joining me on this episode of Beyond Risk and Back. Let's say hello to my guests, James and Veronica. You guys, hey there. It's good to see you again. Thank you, Aaron, for having us on. Thank, thank you, Aaron, very, very much. It was my pleasure. We were sitting next to each other. You guys were right in front of me, and uh, we, we just we, kind of the the normal um, elevator speeches. Hey, what do you do? I, what do you do? And then pretty soon we're like, yeah, I got to do a show with you guys because you guys are doing what my wife and I decided that we were going to do with genetics testing of the children yeah. who come into the facility. But you guys, and what you do is way, way, way deeper than genetics testing. If there is such a thing, we'll get into that. But first, how on earth did you end up, what well, James, you said you're an MD, PhD, whatever the heck that means. So we're gonna start with the smart one, Veronica, who's a nurse and everybody knows, everybody knows the nurses run the hospital. So let's talk to the nurse, Veronica. How did you guys end up where you are? Oh, wow. That's a great question. Honestly, um, you know, being in healthcare for over 20 years, um, this has really been a passion of ours of, you know, really being called to help people and more so the most vulnerable, which are kids. Um, and the reason why I do what I do, it was really started with our son, um, who's 15 now, but he was really just showing a lot of signs of anxiety, anger, um, we didn't know what was going on with him. Right. And the last thing I wanted to do was to give him pills. Um, I knew what I had seen in the emergency room working there. And, um, you know, it's just, it wasn't, it wasn't for my son. I knew there was something else. So as a mom and even the other parents that come into our office, you know, the, you know that there's more, they, they have the answers. It's, it's the gut feeling of a parent that yeah. knows something's not right with my child. And, um, and that was, that was me. So I really have a true connection with a lot of the clients that come in or maybe just someone who's just calling for maybe some advice or, you know, where should I go or what should I do? Um, and, you know, that's the parent in me besides being a board certified neurotherapist that does this, but it really started with my son to help him 
Um, and, and so my passion is really is to be that parent to help other kids um, where they're not falling into the American cocktail pit. Right. And, and I, what I would tell you is, you know, as a scientist uh, and as a physician, a couple of things. I mean, we've been looking for a theory of the mind for 500 years yeah. uh, since Rene Descartes. And we have this idea. We, we're like, here's the brain and its anatomy. Here's thought. How do we connect the anatomy with thought? And what happened uh, is that there's a small branch of, psycho, of, of psychology called psychophysiology that's developed over 50 years that essentially took the the, the uh, magnetic frequencies, and I'm being real technical here, but it's worth knowing the basis of it, that take the magnetic frequencies and measure because we're electrical people. So we, my wife puts a 19 lead EEG, standard EEG that neurologists use, collects uh, the signals, then uses computers, which of course took some time to evolve the speed to do the you know instantaneous math, they use something called a fast Fourier transform, which is a, 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 a fancy way of analyzing the brain wave into slow, fast, and medium uh, frequencies. And then that makes a map of the sort of where in the brain these slow and fast frequencies are, and that makes a map. And then uh, it took a, a long time, 10 years, to develop this technology. It took $10 billion. It came out of the National Institute of Mental Health uh, that and Robert Thatcher says, hey, it was $10 billion in 10 years, but the, the U.S. government got its money's worth. What happened is they now have a standard uh, of what a standard person's brain activity looks like and we can map out a child or an adult's uh, electromagnetic frequency as a map and compare it to a standard. That is revolutionary because it lets us see depression. So over here, usually in our left frontal, anxiety, usually up here, uh, sort of in the limbic system, a uh, little front of central. Uh, PTSD, which tends to be a hyperactive pattern on the right, the whole right side, it lets us see very precisely what's going on. And, and whatever combination is there from uh, some brain trauma, some depression, some anxiety. And, and it's usually these patterns that people then self-medicate with or doctors prescribe medicines for in order to, to change. We can see the change uh, when we map this out, and we have a, we have a good evidence basis for that. The second thing is, and this is revolutionary as well, besides having a way to measure and see what's going on, we're then able to train the frequencies. So if we have a lot of anxiety, a kind of a high beta pattern frontally, uh, my wife uses equipment that does a reward and inhibit of electrical activity in order to change that anxiety and change that behavior. Um, could you repeat everything you just said? <laughs> no, I'm sorry. I, it's, it's a mouthful. I believe that. I mean, just it, it's like in the first. It, I've got a page of notes already <laughs> here, just in the first conversation, because it's so much, and I think it drives the point home exactly what I was trying to make, which is we are dealing with such a complicated organ. Yeah. One of the most complicated organisms on the planet, and its most complicated organ. And somebody comes in and says, I'm sad a lot. And so we give them a pill. There's no pause. There's no break taken. It's just, it's straight to prescription. But everything you've said, like just to understand that, you know, back up here, top left in the limbic lives anxiety, yeah. right? And yeah. then over here on the right side is PS, PTSD. The left side is depression. Just right. knowing that that's a different part of the brain yeah. is such a yeah. massive, huge start. So now come my questions because everything from you can, you can train, inhibit yeah. and reward that yeah. you can, you can map and you can see 
I want to go back to something that was said earlier where you talked about we've done enough data in $10 billion worth of research to say we have a picture of a standard brain. So I'm assuming that you're saying a normal brain, but we're using a nice term, which is standard. We're using, but aren't people so different and unique that there is no normal, no standard? Is that accurate? Uh, what what I would say is is uh, the standard is a combination. In in this case, uh, our sample is more than a million brains uh, that then is stratified according to age, uh, and that's actually an amazing thing to be able to do. Uh, we you know we believe that uh, it's reasonable because when we see these activities, sort of a high beta in the limbic system. Uh, we, when people tell us they're anxious, when we train that down, when my wife trains it down, she's, she's very good at it, then the behavior changes, the anxiety and symptoms change, and the brain activity changes. So we see very, very direct correlations between what we see on the screen and what happens as we make those changes. So, so it's good to start with a standard but what we are clearly doing is training each individual. Ver- and that's, that's what we should be doing. Veronica, every time you put a child or an adult for that matter, who's saying I'm depressed, let's just start with depression. Sure. You, 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 you put the 18 points on their head. What do you know that you're going to see every time without fail? When, when the map comes out, low power, what does that mean? Because you guys were saying yeah. low power. Does that just mean low electrical impulses? Um, so what that actually means is that, so the, my analogy that I use with the kids and adults, it's, you know, when you go to bed at night, you charge your cell phone, right? right. So why don't we charge our cell phone to get 100% on our cell phone? So if I forget to charge my cell phone, the battery is just kind of going from 100% to down, down, down. And then I have 5% left on my battery, right? So right. that means that's all I have for the whole day, 5%. And then my battery is going to turn off. So the same thing with the brain that when you have a low power, it's not able to, you know, f- your mood's affected with low power, um, the, your energy level, your motivation, your will, um, it's a, you know, affects your relationships. And you're just starting now to be impulsive. And impulsivity, now you're kind of just doing things, you know, maybe let me just drink a beer, or let me just smoke some weed, um, you know, maybe I need to take this medication, you're not even at your right mind. So the brain then is starting to just kind of act impulsively all, all around the board. Now, what I do when someone comes in, they say I'm depressed, the first thing that comes to my mind is how's your sleep? Because if you're not sleeping well, and you're not going into REM, Therefore, I know your, your battery is not getting charged. Your right. brain's not getting charged. Um, and we, the, the way the assessment works is they answer questions. We call that a cognitive emotional checklist. They answer questions. And then we compare how they're answering subjectively to what the EEG is picking up quantitatively. So we're comparing. And when I see a lot of people who um, start... Um, showing a high probability of a lot of emotional upset, no energy. That's when it's like, you know, you're, I don't think you're really sleeping very well. They could be, you know, people who are snoring. Um, they should probably get a sleep test. So there's other ways of really, of what are we dealing with when it, we're thinking about what is depression? On, um, on that, I have a question for you because I have always tried to describe depression to parents whose kids are dealing with it to say your child is your child doesn't feel depressed your child's brain is depressed and what that means is that the activity is depressed depression is not a feeling that's a description of dysfunction in the brain is that what you're seeing that this part is just not I guess I, I, to use yours, fully charged. So in the same area that we're seeing depression, which is a left frontal lobe, is the same place where we're seeing ADD, Mm -hmm. um, attentional deficits. So there is a true connection there. So the brain isn't really firing at that point. It's it's almost like it's asleep Mm -hmm. on the left side, left side frontal lobe. 
And then, so if you're asleep on the left frontal lobe, depression, you're going to see some ADD. Um, there, there's not a lot of activity. So the right side frontal lobe is going to be the most active. And that's more of that, that anxiety of overacting. Um, and, and then you're going to see as well that central strip, which is right here, what my husband was explaining. Um, this is where all that impulsivity can sit. So when we're looking at a brain map, we're really, we're looking at the different brain waves. That's the interest. Where are these brain waves existing? I, I don't want to see it, your sleep brain wave at your frontal lobe because this is your thinking cap. This is where you're thinking. This is where you're paying attention. You're focusing. You're making decisions. You're reasoning. But if I'm seeing a sleep state here at your frontal lobe, which I see a lot, um, I wasn't doing a sleep test on you. I was doing a brain map on you. Huh. Why do I see a lot of sleepy waves? Um, and so then you can get more into their medical history as, you know, do, do they have a history of a head injury, a concussion? Um, what's your diet like? You know, do you drink a lot of soda? Are you eating bad foods? Are you addicted to sugar? When kids and adults tell me how much they love sugar, I already know that I'm dealing with some depression because <sighs> the brain is seeking energy and it's seeking the wrong sources of energy. So that's usually where they're just kind of like sugar hungry. They're, you know, they're, well, I got to have some pop or I have to, you know, I like a donut in the morning. Um, and that's what they think is, um, in giving their energy and it's not, it's putting their brain to sleep. Dr. James does do, do medications when you, when you've taken your kid in for depression or anxiety, you know, Seroquel, that's, that's one of the big ones, right? You, you talked about the, uh, a meds effect on the brain waves. So, so my first question is how do they affect and is it, is it a cure? Or is it a bandaid? Like, like, let's answer that one for parents. If you can, what are we seeing with medications in the brain and the brain mapping? Well, when we, there's a usual combination of medicines that we see, it usually goes like this. It's like, you know, I'd like my son to have more attention at school. They do a symptom check. They're prescribed uh, Adderall, some, some variation of methylphenidate as a stimulant. Then they're like, oh, my child's not sleeping. Okay, so then they get like on Abilify or which, you know, which helps sleep or Trazodone or something like this at night. And my wife calls that the American cocktail. Uh, right, up and down, up and down. And, and those are, there, there are drug names for that. And people do that to themselves sure. as it is. Uh, you, you know, uh, some people uh, will go, uh, you know, I, I want to drink caffeine for 16 hours a day, and then I want to have four beers for four hours a day. That's the same kind of activity that people do. So we know that we, we can see what this pattern is. When, when I did uh, brain training initially, uh, I, I opened my eyes and it felt like instant on. And I was like, what? Uh, and I felt like I had two cups of coffee all day. And, uh, and I and it was like, I told my wife, I said, I, I need uh, some help going to sleep after this. And what did you say? Yes, you do. <laughs> but she, it, was a, it was a beta SMR program. And so she increased the SMR from 19 minutes to 29 minutes. And I responded to that. And she said something very interesting. She said, look, the, we, your brain already has all the capacities to go to these um, sort of brain frequencies, just like a bicycle has little levers first, second, fourth, go, has, has the levers to go through the speeds. The brain does as well too. It uses substances to go through those speeds, but it doesn't need substances to do that. It, it, it has the ability to do it and you can train the brain to go to those, to those speeds, wow. which is amazing. It's an amazing thing to say when, when I uh, found out that you know, because what happens to me as a physician is, you know, you see all these people, I, I work in the emergency room mostly, and uh, I come out of maybe room five and there's a, a young woman who's crying her eyes out. She's like, why won't anybody help me? Why won't anybody help me? And the problem is, is we could help her by giving her a drug that will then become addictive. And we've seen that pattern. 
And then when you go and you talk with that person, I'll say, have you been abused? And she said, yeah, I was abused from nine to 11 or 13 by my, my, my stepfather uh, or my uncle. I'm like, oh, that's the picture. And so uh, I have the, the ability to actually measure and treat some of this, I would say, actual innocent pathology. This is happening from the environment. To see it and then treat it is revolutionary. Mm -hmm. And I told my wife, I said, look, we're gonna be able to help a lot of people without medicines in a permanent fashion. Uh, and <laughs> I said, take the credit cards and max it out. <laughs> the only time I ever said that, it's the only time. But, but it's an amazing thing to be able to have. It really is. You know, you mentioned Seroquel and I've had clients who have been on doses of up to 900 milligrams of Seroquel okay. yeah. and where they're no longer on Seroquel. So um, it is a process, um, but it's it can happen. So we're starting to talk about the process that you guys are able to utilize with clients and patients to get them off of meds back into to function. And I wanna get into that next, but, it, but, but my question, my question just showed up you, Doc, you were just saying that that what we are assuming is neurological is actually environmental. Correct. And yes. so, we'd, we, if we're approaching the neurological through the environmental, because the, the 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 industry and being a healthcare provider myself with a residential treatment program, it's it's backwards. We can see a dysfunctional environment, but yes. the assumption is is that we have to treat the the neurological environment first. Right. And so you're would, talking about a reverse engineering. Correct. Correct. That it's a huge, it's a huge shift uh, because uh, one of the ideas out of the 20th century is that things were genetic and really in a right. very deterministic fashion. And what we're finding is it's not deterministic. Genetics is probably only five or 10% of what's happening, though it's a big factor uh, for some people. It's environmental. Uh, so most diseases, chronic disease, uh, dementia, for example, is about 90% environmental. Wow. Uh, uh, you know, obesity is about 80 to 90% environmental. So these are the factors that are really driving it. And psychological and stress uh, is, you know, depending on the person, 100% of the problem. On average, we can calculate from our data, it's about 25% of the problem. But for some people, it's a huge percent. That lets us really free ourselves if we change the environment and if we change our brain, which is really absorb those effects of the environment. We have a path forward that is not that that means we're not constant and we're not trapped. And so that's very, very, very freeing. It's very freeing. And, and that's a revolution in our, in our thinking. All right, Nurse Veronica, let's talk about how I've got 18 points on and I've gone past the the first stage where we are, you're, you're telling me what you see and you're telling me about the map and now you're going to start to train me to change the brainwaves. Now, the first thing that comes up for me is that um, this is some new version of uh, ASD, that, that, we're, that we're doing some sort of you know, uh, uh, zapping parts to wake them up. Right. And, and you and I both, I mean, all three of us, we know that the, the shock therapy of yesteryear of, of one flew over the cuckoo's nest is gone. This new version is showing effect. It's showing results. It's also showing short-term memory loss, you know, but there's some good and bad and ugly of modern day AST. So I am wondering how this is different? Is it totally different? Do I not know what I'm talking about? And then once you start, as you get into the training part, where you're saying, now we're going to wake this up. We're going to teach you how to teach yourself to go to sleep, to teach yourself how to not be depressed. Sounds like a tall order, a magic bullet, some, some snake oil. What are you doing to me? Yeah, no, great question. Um, so, you know, it's, it's really as important at that point to really connect with your client or the person that really wants to get trained. Um, that's the important thing. And it's really important to really document really important details as to what may be affecting this person, um, you know, depression, anxiety, ADD, you know, right. whatever, whatever may be going on. 
so that when I begin my training, I'm also carefully doing a qualitative um, um, uh, assessment as well. Of course. So I measure them weekly saying, hey, you know, you're saying that your working memory was poor, you, that your sleep was not good. How are you now? Well, you know, uh, between one and 10, I'm a four, that's improving. Um, how's this? So we're always measuring what the client is actually saying. And I'm always taking a narrative okay. because this is so, so important. Um, and a lot of, a lot of providers don't do this when they do neurofeedback. Um, because when the client improves and gets well, they really don't remember where it all started from. Yeah. Really? I used to say that that's not me. Really? you go back to those notes and you revisit those notes with them. And they're like, wow, I really have improved. So I, really have I, I have to, I have to interject that you're actually talking about helping your client develop a body rapport that they didn't have before. I'm, I've been suffering my ADHD and I'm normally ADHD is my superpower for the last sure. two and a half months. You, the leveraging of this thing I've lived with my whole life has been really difficult. I've been impulsive, compulsive, really struggled with focus, um, you know, starting, not finishing. And because body rapport is such a huge value of mine, I said, okay, time to track. The day timer I created helps me track everything I do. And guess what? Two and a half months ago, I fell out of ketosis. And I was like, I mean, there's my evidence. The the, yeah. the the carb intake went up, which means my sugar, which means I, my caffeine. And here I am two and a half months later that goes, okay, here we go. Right. Monday, we're back into ketosis. We've got to, so you're, you're, so through this, through this analysis, this narrative that you and the client are developing, you're helping them develop body report. Now we're, we're seeing, we're seeing the standard, we're seeing the baseline, I'm excited for you to tell me, Veronica, yeah. are you helping me cure my ADHD? Well, what I'm helping you do is to connect with yourself. Nice. Okay. Because there's such a huge disconnect. It's almost being in the moment and present. Um, that's not really how we survive these days in the 21st century. It's always <laughs> the next day, the next minute, the next hour. We, we lose ourselves. We're like, you know, we're not completing our tasks. Right. Um, and I have a lot of peak performers that come see me as well. And that's because, you know, they're, you know, I was a peak performer. Now I feel like I'm, I'm missing out. I'm missing things. I want to say something when it's my turn to speak, I forget what I was going to say. Um, so there's, there's just combination of things, but when I do my brain training and my neurofeedback with my clients, um, it's, it's really is connecting with the client and it's all individualized. Mm -hmm. Just because I'm working with you with ADD and ADHD or anxiety, I'm not going to manage you the same way I did the previous client. Of course. You are the individual. Um, and how you manage your lifestyle and what you do is what I work with to help manage that, to, you know, how you're thinking about something and how your brain is now shifting its attention. And that's a big word. You're shifting, you're no longer in this brain locked state. Um, and your brain is now becoming more self-aware. You're out of this default state. Um, and now you're like, you know, my clients start to report, you know, it's like, wow, I was able to focus on something a little bit longer, or I was in the most boring meeting, but to me, I was still very focused. I still was able to pay attention. And in that state, that's where you're now your brain is training in its environment, right? Here in my office, it's more, um, more of a lab. There's, there's nothing really here for, for you to be connected to, but the real testament is where, when you're at home, work, friends, or whoever stresses you out or places that you feel depressed or wherever that is, it's really is, okay, when you go to your sister's house who drives you crazy, how is that environment? Because your environment will always stay the same. It's you who is now changing in your environment. Okay. It's how you are now in that environment that has will always still maybe still stay the same. It's how you're feeling in that environment. Can I ask, say one thing? Yeah, do. So, so what I would tell you, you know, that one of the fundamental components, and I use this analogy a lot with my patients, I'm like, look, if you're go, 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 which is ADD, ADHD, uh, and, and let's compare that to a marathon. If you were to run a marathon every day for two months, at the end of that, you, you'd be too fatigued to really do well. Right. 
And what we train the brain to do is rest and then go. So, so that way you essentially have a better performance when you need to, but then you come down to a lower state and it's a recovery. We're actually introducing a recovery component. And when we do that, uh, we have better sleep, we have better frontal lobe function. So we now have the frontal lobe working better and that's attention, executive function and memory. And we use, we use cognitive testing in the office before and after to demonstrate improvement in, the, in those functions of the brain. And so that we have another source besides symptoms, besides the EEG signal, we have another valid source to demonstrate that there is improvement of those, of those functions. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and you don't lose your ability to run you by resting, you now increase your ability to run. So is this through a stimulation process like EST or is this, is this different? Right. So, um, so going back to that original question, um, <laughs> so you, uh, uh -huh. you, 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 put sensors on the scalp. So based off the EEG, the brain map. The electrical signal, the waveform that right. happens. So I call them sensors because when I say electrical, um, people think of electric shock. They do. They still, it's still, still a thing actually, ECT. Yeah. Um, and, and the sensors I put, you know, if I put frontal, I can do a four channel, meaning I can do four sensors, two sensors, one sensor, or I can do a full cap, a 19 channel um brain map or brain training rather and what it is is i set the thresholds based off frequencies so if, wherever you're low power um i will train that up that will be the reward and then wherever you're the high power or the low power those will be your inhibits so when your brain goes into that state you're not getting the reward so what does that mean that means they're watching a movie okay and the movie goes black well, that means that the brain is not in that reward state. But when it gets bright, it goes into the reward state. So let's say I'm training up 12 to 15 hertz. 12 to 15 hertz is a focused, calm state. So when that's being rewarded and the brain is in that, that state, the picture gets bright. And then when it goes away, that goes into maybe that person is maybe overthink situations and now they're in a faster frequency. Well, that's, not, that's the inhibit. So we're inhibiting that state. When they go back in the 12 to 15 hertz, the picture turns bright. So the brain is continuously being rewarded over and over and over again. So when I see clients, I see them twice a week um, for um, maybe five months, six months. It all depends. It's it's very it's a variable. Um, if they're doing what I'm asking them to do, I don't have to see them very very often or for very long. Um, but if they're skipping out on some things or not seeing you regularly. Um, then it's obviously going to be longer. So um, I also have have a remote system that people can train from home, which is what I like. And and the reason why I like this is because they can train four to five times per week um, for 30 minutes per day. And, um, and that has been something that a lot of clients have been coming to me from different states. Um, and I can just send out equipment and we can Zoom just like we're doing now. So. As always, the purpose of Beyond Risk and Back is to get the experts into your home. I, I have been blessed over the years to learn from so many of my guests the things that I am nowhere close to truly understanding. And so I get to interview these experts over and over, these doctors, these nurses, these masters of human behavior development and understanding adolescent struggle and parenting. What I've done with that information is taken all of it and put it out there for free in two places primarily number one here on beyond risk and back this podcast so please listen like subscribe and share to these these shows and and tell your friends about us but number two parenting teens that struggle is a free facebook group that i have i am the moderator it's uh private so uh, you got to answer a couple questions. I let you in. And what you have there is over a thousand parents who are dealing with exactly what you're dealing with, have the questions that you have and are working hard to support each other because you're not terminally unique. 
We're going through this together. We are all going through this together as parents. The struggle is real. The, the issues are real. And like my guests today, Veronica and James are talking about, this is, this is deeper stuff than just he, he makes bad choices. She's making risky choices. That is the results of an action. But what my guests today are doing is taking you all the way back to the source. Stop reacting to the fruits of the tree you don't like. Let's get back to the roots that created those fruits. And that's what's going on in the brain. So the podcast and the Parenting Teens That Struggle Free Facebook page. Every video I create, every podcast I do, every expert that I know, I get them over there on Parenting Teens That Struggle on Facebook. Join me and my families over there so we can keep loving each other up and supporting each other. But now, let's get back to the experts on our show. You guys, I, I have a few questions as we go into this. Some are some are pretty um, benign, and then some I know my listeners really want to hear your answers to. Number one, there was a game that came out a while ago into the wild blue or into the something like that, and Deepak Chopra had gotten behind it, and you put all these sensors on your fingers, and to open a door, you had to calm your heart rate, and to, to turn the key, you had to lift your heart rate up, and you were starting to learn skills like breathing and stuff like that. Is that what you're talking about when you're putting these sensors on my brain, and I'm rewarded by turning the screen, screen white because I am starting to utilize my nervous system as a tool consciously rather than being in reaction to it or is there something more going on okay so so what we would tell you is uh you know we are training the brain um and we a lot of that and what you're speaking i think and what deepak chopra is doing is talking about training heart rate variability sure and heart rate and we know of the biofeedback modalities, it's the one that really sticks. Okay. And uh, the essential pathway, and this is kind of technical, but um, essentially uh, the, the diaphragm in the chest has parasympathetic or calming fibers. And when we breathe correctly, that is deeply moving the diaphragm out when we breathe in, just like we breathe in, it's a piston that comes out in our tummy and when we exhale, the piston comes in and the air comes out. When we do that, we really expand the diaphragm, which fires these parasympathetic fire uh, nerves that go up to the carotid body here in our neck. They go to our heart, slow the heart rate down, and then go up to the brain. And it, and it goes to a, a center of the brain, nucleus tractus alteris. And then it goes to different parts of the brain that control different functions. So locus aurelius, sympathetic nervous system, amygdala, fear organ, paraventricular media, hypertension spot. And so we're able to train by breathing, uh, we're able to train these areas in the brain. And for me in my practice, breathing correctly is one of the primary forms of control of hypertension. Because anxiety is what we see a lot of, causing a lot of hypertension. And then us smart doctors, see that and we prescribe beta blockers to calm that down that can have some side effects would be better to treat the primary source my wife has patients and uh, that are that i also see in the clinic and after neurofeedback for anxiety training and neurofeedback blood pressure goes down yeah. so deepak chopra is absolutely correct we find that about four hours of breathing training overall are sufficient to bring this down. Uh, some people who really need this kind of training are people who wear vests, believe it or not. So our military and police forces are wearing too tight of vests. They're actually doing the reverse. The, it's, people are talking about all these problems. I, I fundamentally think it's an equipment failure. Wow. Uh, that we need to change we need to change equipment that they're wearing and we would have much less of this phenomena of, of ptsd and anxiety in our police uh, brave police forces and brave military forces so i tell you we think deeply about breathing here uh, and we incorporate it very much in, into our practice you know usually the other thing i also uh, let them know you know this is why video games are so popular because it's a reward it's a reward system constantly um, 
more, the more I play, the more I play, I'm getting better. I'm winning. I'm winning. It's this, you know, adrenaline rush of, of what's actually happening. And so when you do the, the brain training, um, it's a reward. The brain is being rewarded every time it goes into a certain state that you're rewarding. Um, there, it doesn't hurt. It's pain-free. Um, you know, I, as a nurse, I, I pay attention to a lot of things. So if I have someone who um, has panic attacks, um, often I, you know, I make sure I get my vital signs, make sure that, you know, that they're in a calm state, relaxed. I've had people who have come in and they're, they're like, I'm going into a panic attack. I'm starting to feel really nauseous or what have you. So um, when that happens, I like people to know that you're in a safe place. Um, we know what we're doing. We're paying attention. We're focusing. Um, but the other in, the other organ that we need to pay attention to is our gut as well. So that, that's clear too. So the belly brain. Yep. The belly yep. brain. Yep. yep. There's, okay. the, there's the lung brain connection, the heart brain connection, and the GI brain connection. So what you guys uh, are saying here is that everything's connected. Correct. Yes. <laughs> You're treating the vagus nerve in the fashion of top down, yeah. but, but the vagus nerve is actually carrying about 80%, we call them afferents, or the signal is going up from the, from the body to the brain about 80% of the time. It's what oh. we need to pay attention to. The brain is being trained by the body. We need to train the body to train the brain. We need mm -hmm. to train the brain to train the body. Uh, it's connected, right, you know, through the, through the neck thing here. Um, so. Okay, so here's the question I've been dying to ask since the beginning, and I know a lot of of uh, parents. I have their my listeners' voice in my head, and what I'm hearing is, ask about weed, ask about ask about pot. Uh -huh. Have you seen the pot with the electrodes on? And yeah, what are you yeah, seeing? All the time. What do you see? Is it is it helping or hurting? Um. Wow. That's that's it's a loaded question. It sure but I'm going to say what I see on my end. Um. So it's a form of self treatment. You know, they're they're treating themselves, mm -hmm. and so they're dosing themselves, right? So yeah. they can either get so dosed, or they're not even um in a focused state. They're not even paying attention. They get tired. They're sleepy. Um. And then I have my OCD clients who say that when they do smoke weed, that they feel better, they feel calmer, they can talk to people. But the way I see it is like, you know, look, if, if you know that this weed can do this to your brain and you're medicating yourself, just imagine your brain doing this by itself and you mm -hmm. can train it to do Correct. that. Correct. So if we know that the weed is doing this for you and you, you like the way it feels, how about I train your brain that point. to that point where yeah. you can do it on your own, mm -hmm. where you're not depending on weed. Okay. So let's, as we start to wrap around here to the end, let's talk about what it is that you know you guys see clients you uh, uh you you talked about being able to to follow up on zoom things like this but also doctor i seem to remember that you had some object with you when we were at the conference uh, that's that's a very advanced object uh that is frankly experimental okay but it it's it requires people to be here in the office got it uh it actually puts frequency out okay uh, i wanted to go a little bit back to the marijuana question yeah please do because what we see when i measure blood work we clearly see a tox an element called the homocysteine uh which goes up with excess uh, demand for metabolism and sometimes in my marijuana users it, it's it's the highest that i've ever seen and what it means is is that there's a toxin and now there's a B vitamin deficiency and where that really is affecting the brain is frontally. So we see on the map global slowness and then we see a lot more profound deep slowness in the frontal lobe. I, I thought that this B deficiency, which is, I mean, uh, cannabis was my go-to drug of choice for 14 years. And when I finally got all my blood testing and neurotransmitter testing and genetics testing, they were like, you have vitamin B deficiency and you need to take methylated vitamin B. So, right. so I thought again, that this was a genetic thing, that it was my genetics that was making me crave that. But you're saying, I'm a, I could have actually reversed that? 
Correct. And wow. but what I would say is, is the genetics uh, for the methylation pathway, it's sort of the famous or infamous MTHFR. That's gene. right. That's right. Six, you know, 60 to 70 percent of Americans need the methylated form. Uh, and most B vitamin supplements are cyano, which is toxic. Right. And most people need the methylated form of folate. And it can that level can be too high and it can be too low. So it's actually better to sort of measure that. And, and we do measure that here. Uh, and then to have the right, right amount when you go to supplement. And when we do, when we do just reduce the homocysteine from a toxic level to say maybe eight or nine, and we do cognitive testing, we see the brain essentially double its overall function in like two weeks. So it's a, it's a we're like, it, Clearly, it's effective. Clearly, it can work. Okay, so now we got to get into the the nuts and bolts of this conversation. And and it's why I asked you guys to come on the show. It's because I want to connect people to you. I want people to find you. I want people to work with you. So how are people going to find you guys and connect to you? Yeah, so um, you can go to our website at cognitiveperformancehealth.com. Uh -huh. um, you can reach out to us. We are located in Kansas. So our number is 316-260-9005. We're also on Facebook at Cognitive Performance Health as well. Um, and we do consultations via Zoom. So you don't have to be present. Um, for my brain mapping, I do offer a 30 minute um, no charge consultation. So um, this is just for me to see why someone would like to get brain mapped. Um, I do also have a, a tool that I use for brain mapping. It's not a 19 channel that you wear a full cap. It's just a headset mm -hmm. that can um, place six different areas on the brain mm -hmm. that even if someone is smoking marijuana, I can still tell if they are. <laughs> well, you just so, lost a bunch of clients right there. Oh. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know. Well, I will tell you <laughs> but you know, it's, it's really, is, it's not saying you're a bad person. No, of course it's, not. It's really is con no. connecting with them. Right. right. Yeah. Um, and sometimes people don't tell me everything. And then when I look at a brain map, then I start asking more questions right. and they're like, how did you know that? <laughs> um, just because I'm reading your EEG, yeah. it's, it's giving me the information I, to ask. And, and I would probably put another plug in for my wife, uh, because because ADD and depression and PTSD are sort of bread and butter, can do a lot of that straightforward at home. Yeah. But we do have some pretty complex procedures called coherence training, developed by Dr. Rob Coben, a, a really an interventional neuropsychologist. Uh, so we can treat uh, with a 95% response rate, um, autism, learning disability, developmental trauma, uh, head trauma, some of the complex patterns that are out there. Uh, uh, we also uh, have a response to seizure, uh, particular particular types of seizure. I'm qualify that yeah. so the focal type, where there's a hyperactive area that we train around that area. And those kind of complex procedures really need to be in the office at this point. Mm -hmm. But we have we can we've demonstrated in China <laughs> that we can see and train halfway in real time halfway around the world. Uh, so it's very remarkable, very remarkable technology, wherever there's a web connection. What's next for, for your industry? What's the new technology coming out? Can you mail me a headset and read it on my computer lifetime? Like, where's this yeah. going? Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I, that would be great. Um, <laughs> I've got a so, trademark. Yeah, I, I, I came up with the idea. That's mine. No. Yeah, <laughs> yeah no, I like oh, that idea. Um, you know, sending you a headset, so, um, so that you can see, you know, live when my clients are training, I can see their EEG in real time. Right. Um, and you know what the value of this too is, um, you know, if someone is even experiencing a seizure and they had no idea, this is a, a you know, there was a kiddo that was parent was so mad and angry and Johnny doesn't getting up out of the chair and, you know, whatever, getting really mad at her son. And I'm like, is that what he does all the time? And she's like, yeah. And I'm like, I think he may be having a seizure. Oh my God. And I put a cap on him and lo and behold, oh. he was having. It is so. just a way to find 
what's really going on first. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. There, there really is a way to find out what's really going on and then change it. And I, I probably the best feedback that I get from parents is thanks for listening to me. Um, communication is key. And as parents, you know, you're not given a rule book or how to, you know, you know, raise a child. Um, you just kind of go as you, people are telling you, do this, don't do that. And it is hard. This is not the easiest thing. We have three kids, we have two teenagers and it is, it's hard. Um, and of course what we do, our kids are like, well, you're just mom and dad and you're just doing this. So it's, it's hard. Um, but I will say that, um, but as parents, you know, love your children, be patient with yeah. them through this growth I, and don't give up on them. Can I, um, can I say one more thing? Yeah. Sure. So, <laughs> so uh, what I would tell you interestingly enough is my son's map is 80% my map. <laughs> so, so for me to relate to my son, when I do neurofeedback, I relate to him. And I would expect that a primary influence of a child's behavior is their parent. Yeah. My guests today have been uh, Dr. James and Veronica Seberger. This is incredible. This is amazing. This is exactly what I wanted from them. And I hope you really got something from the show, folks. Cognitive Performance Health on Facebook. Go find them. Uh, what a wealth of knowledge. I want to say thank you to Deepin Productions for the producing of this podcast and for Your Cause Consulting to make sure that the show is getting in front of all the right people. Parents, take care of yourselves first, your adult relationships second, and your children third, because that's how we do our best work with our children. Again, huge thanks to Dr. James and Nurse Veronica. Uh, I like that name. You guys should have a, your own show, sitcom. <laughs> so we're going to uh we're gonna call it for this episode listen again i'm gonna have these people back at a later time especially as soon as they get the headsets they can mail to me and we can all go online and look at each other's brains folks thanks for listening i will see you next time on beyond risk and back <laughs>